Hey, welcome to the Learn to Code With Me podcast. I'm your host, Laurence Bradford. In today's final episode of season one, I have special guest Karen Nielsen. Karen is the former founder and CEO of the startup Fluently. Before starting Fluently, Karen attended Makers Academy, which is a coding bootcamp in London. She later went through Entrepreneur First, also known as EF. EF is Europe's leading pre-seed investment program for technical founders. Inside this episode, Karen shares why she learned how to code, how it helped her start her startup, and so much more. Just a quick note before diving into the episode, Fluently, the startup Karen created, has since closed up shop. However, the conversation we had was so great, I still wanted to publish it. But please keep this in mind as you listen. As always, the show notes for this episode, plus a full transcript, can be found at learntocodewith.me forward slash 15. Enjoy the interview and make sure to stick around to the very end of the show because I have a special announcement about season two and a few other things. Enjoy. Hey guys, I'm here today with Karen Nielsen. Karen, thanks so much for sitting down with me. No worries, Laurence. It's a pleasure. So I would love if you could introduce yourself quickly to the audience. Sure. So I'm Karen Nielsen. Uh, I'm a German living in London, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of a uh, translation marketplace startup called Fluently. Awesome. And I connected with you first because I was writing an article about coding boot camps, and I spoke to you about your experience at Makers Academy. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you go there again? Uh, so I uh, I was there for a duration of three months, and it ran from September to December 2014. 2014. Okay. So, oh man. So that's over. Is that over two years ago, or almost two years ago? Uh, so it's about eighteen months ago. Okay. Got it. Cool. So, what were you doing before that? Like, what made you decide to kind of go to Baker's Academy? Okay, so uh, it's it's kind of a, a, a strange story, really. Um, so I spent the eleven years uh, leading up to uh, my joining Makers uh, in quite a successful career in the localization industry. So for those people who've never heard of that before, uh, it's basically uh, helping companies to translate huge amounts of content. Uh, into foreign languages. Um, so I've done all kinds of uh, executive roles in that space, uh, mainly uh, in sales, uh, selling uh, both professional services and uh, sort of enterprise technical solutions uh, to customers ranging from like software companies to e-commerce and even manufacturing and uh, financial services. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I had a, a great career, great salary, great lifestyle, um, but I eventually quit my job, uh, literally sold everything I had, uh, and moved to London to build my startup, uh, much to the surprise of my friends and family, as you can probably imagine. Oh, wow. So what year was that in then when you moved? Uh, so I, I literally moved to London like three days before I started at Makers. Uh, so oh. it was all pretty hasty. I think I had about two weeks uh, between quitting my job and, uh, and actually starting the program. So it was all pretty hectic. Uh, to pretty much sell up my household and um, put everything in boxes and, and move. Wow. Well, you know what? Sometimes you just got to do that. You just have to move quickly or else you're just not going to do it at all. You know what I mean? You snooze, you lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what 
what did uh, Makers Academy teach again? Like what technologies or what frameworks and so on? Yeah, so uh, Makers Academy is a web development boot camp. So uh, really what they set out to teach is uh, to take complete amateurs like me, so mainly uh, career changers, uh, a very uh, small number of people on my cohort had done like a little bit of coding before, either in their spare time or maybe they did some marketing and had some exposure to like HTML uh, in some aspect of their job, but most people are complete noobs. So what uh, Makers Academy set out to do is to help those people uh, pretty much switch their career track entirely. So I had uh, investment bankers on my cohort, uh, full-time stay-at-home moms, uh, all all kinds of people who decided that they either wanted uh, a new, more challenging lifestyle, uh, Mm -hmm. and they were really into tech and excited by all the possibilities that coding has to offer, or they wanted more flexibility. Because obviously, one of the great things about coding is that you can do it from anywhere as long as you've got uh, a Wi-Fi connection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so you're doing localization, you were living in Germany, you had a you know good job, everything was going well, you decide kind of spur of the moment to move to London and attend Makers Academy. I guess I'm just really curious, like what made you want to learn how to code? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I guess, um, so to start at the very beginning, uh, from childhood, I've always been super interested in computers and tech. Uh, I guess you could say I'm, I've always been a bit of a tomboy. So where uh, most of my girlfriends would play with Barbies and uh, sort of fancy dress and makeup. I was on computer games or building remote control cars or later, uh, I'm giving my age away a little bit here now, uh, when we finally got a proper computer that was connected to the internet, uh, I pretty much spent all my time on that. Um, So I've I've always had this interest in, in technology and I guess always... Uh, regretted uh, that there weren't so many possibilities uh, to learn to actually build tech uh, when I was a kid. You know, when I was at school, uh, it just wasn't a subject that was taught. Um, And then that was coupled with the fact that I I guess I kind of saw the writing on the wall uh, for the business model that I'd been working in. So in a translation agency, uh, you effectively uh, have a bunch of human beings doing lots of very manual tasks. And Mm. I, I guess I began to see that this was not a very future-proof way uh, of providing this type of service to big companies. Um, so I had an idea for a disruptive business model, uh, but no idea uh, where to start in terms of actually turning that vision into reality. Uh, and, and that's why I, uh, I figured I should probably learn to code. Um, so I, I guess I started by getting myself heavily uh, networked into the startup community Um, I did a program called Lean Startup Machine, which is all about uh, customer development. So validating your business idea uh, with sort of real life people and potential customers of your solution. Uh, And one of the judges uh, on that weekend boot camp was Evgeny, who's the CEO at Makers. Uh, So we had a chat. Uh, I actually ended ended up winning that weekend. uh, And he he basically convinced me pretty hard that I should probably come uh, to Makers and, and actually do this stuff for real. Yeah, wow, that's that's really cool. And congratulations on on winning that. It was like some kind of competition in person. It sounds like. Yeah, so ba- so basically you break into teams, uh you pitch a different uh idea, uh people come and join your team and then uh the competition's all around how much validation you can get around your idea. So it's kind of quite growth hacky. Mm-hmm. Uh 
going out and actually seeing people, showing them uh, mock-ups of your product, uh, and then also trying to get traction uh, through social media and stuff like that. Oh, that's so interesting. It's kind of like um, a hackathon, but you're not actually building an app. You're just kind of trying to, as you say, get customers yeah, you're basically hacking customer validation. It's exactly that. It's, oh, it's, really it's cool. a growth hackathon. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. All right. So then you so then you went to Makers and you were there for three months, correct? Yeah, three months, day and night, seven days a week. So while you were there, were you already starting your startup? Yeah. So uh I I guess I was a little bit different to the majority of people on Makers, although I know of lots of people actually who've ended up uh, coming out of Makers and are now doing their own startup, Mm -hmm. whether that's like their own web development agency or whether they've actually gone and done something a little bit uh, bigger uh, like what I ended up doing. But I, I guess I was one of the very few people that actually came into Makers knowing that I didn't want a career as a developer. I only wanted to learn to code so that I could uh, basically go out and build my company. Yeah. Um, so I, I already had a pretty clear idea of the kind of product I wanted to build, um, but no idea uh, what stack uh, we should be using for that uh, or really you know, what, what the user experience would be like. So uh, I went on to Makers not only to learn how to, strictly speaking, write lines of code, but also to get a much better understanding about how the, that whole development process works, right? Like, what do you do before you even sit down and write your first line of code? And and how do you make sure uh, that what you're building uh, is something that a customer is going to enjoy inter- interacting with? Yeah, so what I'd love to know, and I'm sure the audience would as well, is how your experience at Makers, or I guess for someone even you know, more generally, Coding Bootcamp, how that impacted where your startup is today? Like, did you leave and then did you, did you build the product yourself or did it help you make better hiring decisions? I just, I don't know, like if you could speak a bit about that. Yeah, so I guess all of those things. So I guess um, doing Makers kind of uh, set off this sequence of events that I didn't really foresee. Uh, so initially my plan was that I would go and do this boot camp uh, and that I would then be able to hopefully have acquired enough skills by the end of it uh, to build a like a working prototype of my product so mm-hmm. that I could get more validation around the business model uh, and I could use that as traction to also find a CTO co-founder. So uh, I never really saw myself as the CTO uh, in our company. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, what uh, I wanted to build, I already knew was technically a lot more ambitious uh, than, you know, uh, just just building like a, a website, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I never really had that ambition of being the CTO, but I wanted to uh, be able to at least build like a working clickable prototype. Yeah. Um, and in, in actual fact, what happened was that I obviously completed the program and I uh, did indeed on day one go home and kind of start uh, thinking about like planning what the app was going to look like. And I did write a few lines of code. Um, but I then got headhunted by uh, a, a deep tech incubator called Entre- Entrepreneur First. So um, for the American uh, listeners in your audience, uh, mm-hmm. it's very similar to Y Combinator. They're, they're the best uh, deep tech incubator in Europe. Mm-hmm. And they saw me looking for a co-founder, a technical co-founder on a social network, like a startup network here in London. Mm-hmm. And they approached me and said, hey, uh, like, why don't you apply and 
maybe you can meet your co-founder and build this startup on our incubator. Um, so this was something that was completely unexpected and yeah. out of my original scope. I didn't even know uh, this thing existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I applied. Uh, it was a really, really rigorous um, testing process. Uh, and then eventually got in, uh, had to start that like a, a few weeks later, uh, and eventually met my co-founder uh, on that program as well. So yeah, I, I guess what I initially envisaged and planned uh, didn't quite come off, but I ended up with a way better result at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So are you still in Entrepreneur First right now, or did that wrap up? Or No, so, so that wrapped up. So uh, our demo day was in September 2015, uh, and we subsequently raised some money. Uh, and now, uh, like we're we're obviously in the process of building out the product. So okay. uh, that's a six month program, uh, and I don't believe that I would have a got onto uh, the program in the first place. I think I was in only like two percent uh, or less uh, of accepted applicants who are non tech. Everybody else comes from sort of uh, top tier universities like Imperial College, Cambridge. Uh, from, from all over the world uh, as, as kind of a deep tech expert in artificial intelligence or machine learning mm-hmm. or, or whatever their expertise is. So uh, I do, do not believe I would have ever been accepted onto that program if it weren't for the fact that I'd uh, done some web development and, and kind of at least uh, understood the principles of development and how to speak and, and communicate with, with deeply technical people. Yeah. Okay. That's so cool. So when and how and where did you then meet your co-founder? Because you said it was during Entrepreneurs First or Entrepreneur yeah, First, right? Right. So so the main difference between Entrepreneur First and Y Combinator is that uh, to get onto YC, uh, you pretty much uh, most of the time have to already have like an idea, ideally some kind of prototype or product uh, and uh, you, you need to uh, be able to code, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Entrepreneur First, uh, they're actually unique in the sense that they take uh, really smart people, but pre-idea and pre-team. So the idea is that uh, they kind of have this hypothesis that uh, if you combine uh, people with industry expertise or deep technical knowledge of a specific application of, uh, of some niche technology, that they will come together and that you can spawn a company that way. Uh, so I came in as a domain expert and my uh, co-founder uh, was a uh, computer scientist from Imperial. Uh, so he, he'd done like a, a bunch of really, really deep tech stuff, uh, as well as some like relevant internships at Mozilla uh, and, and Arm, for example. Okay, cool. So right now you're in the phase of building the product out. And is it just you two or, or have you hired anyone else since? Uh, no, so we we did hire uh, actually one of my co-founders' friends, who's a, a front end developer, also from Imperial. Um, so of course uh, we don't have all the skills that we need in our core team, uh, and that's obviously why we're fundraising as well. Um, but we do have paying customers and uh, ha- very happy paying customers, I think, as well. Um, so yeah, the journey only really starts for, starts in earnest here. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it, it. yeah, again, you said you just finished in September 2015, so it hasn't really been very much time since then. No. Wow, so you went, okay, so you went from Makers Academy, and then then you went to Entrepreneur First, and there was only a few weeks between, like, each? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow, so wow. So I, I, like, literally went home for Christmas. I actually, I couldn't afford to stay in London, because obviously I wasn't earning anything at this point. I'd... uh 
paid quite a lot to do makers and uh, like I subsidized my my living with with savings. So I actually had to go and live with my mom for the first time in in a very very long time uh, for for like a couple of weeks. Uh, and then I got the call from makers to say that I'd been accept uh, sorry from EF mm-hmm. uh, to say that I'd been accepted. So I had to move straight back down to London again. Uh, so yeah, we're literally talking like three or four weeks uh, gap in between. Uh, so so it all moved very very quickly. Wow. It was a really exciting time. Yeah, and I never heard of, um, or I did hear of Entrepreneur First because looking at your LinkedIn, but I didn't realize it was essentially like very similar to Y Combinator or was it uh, an incubator? So yeah, that's really, it's really cool. Okay, so, and I'm super curious about this because you're running this company now and you have technical people on your team. So yeah. I imagine that you're not really coding day in and out. You're doing more of like the higher level stuff is Am I right or? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I'm definitely, I haven't touched our code base uh, for a really long time, uh, pretty much since we, we first started out. I did a little bit of front end stuff, uh, but very quickly, obviously, I had to focus on other things such as sales, uh, all the finance stuff, mm-hmm. uh, customer acquisition, uh, like um, dealing with investors, finding investors, uh, all, all all that kind of stuff. So um, I guess now I, I've slotted more into a product development role uh, where um, or a product manager role, I guess, where um, I'm working uh, with the guys to write user stories and stuff like that. Um, but I don't actually write any of the code day to day. They're much more qualified to do that than I am. Yeah. Uh, but suffice to say, uh, I wouldn't be able to do that uh, if I didn't have some understanding uh, of how, uh, what goes into actually building those features, right? And, yeah. and the scope, uh, the magnitude of a specific task. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that, I, I've, I listen to podcasts pretty often, and I feel like I've heard in several interviews of people who are technical or maybe, you know, maybe they're even computer science, they were in um, computer science their whole lives, or they were, you know, software engineers, and then they decide to start their own company, how it, for a lot of them, it's kind of like this, um, maybe it's like bittersweet, because they have all this other stuff they have to do where they can't really pay attention to like the code and the software development, but yeah. they, a lot of them still maybe want to, or they kind of miss that, so... I think that's something that people uh, who want to start their own companies definitely have to consider. If they really love like the technical stuff, if you're starting your own company, you know, there's other stuff you have to do besides that. And you may not even really be coding anymore. Yeah. And it's a very, very different skill set. So I guess, um, yeah, my my background is running companies and selling stuff to big companies. So I very naturally fit into the CEO role. That's not to say I I know what I'm doing half of the time, because honestly, I don't. I don't think any uh, new startup CEO does. It's it's a very, very steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess... uh, as well as all the all the admin, all the annoying stuff, uh, I do still get to get involved with product, uh, and more importantly, I get to speak to customers and and users of the product. Uh, and it's really my job now uh, to translate uh, what the user wants into something that the development team can go away and build. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I'm the bridge between uh, the user uh, and and the uh, the technical team. Yeah, I really like that like you're kind of the bridge between the user and the dev team. And because you have, you do have, you know, technical know-how, it's a lot easier for you to explain those concepts in a ter- in like w- a way that the dev team can understand. And you also understand like the limitations and, and whatnot. That's right. 
I can definitely relate to, even though I don't, I don't have my own startup, but as I've been building my site and trying to grow in different ways, I definitely do a lot less coding now than I did when I first started the site. Like it's night and day just because there's other things, you know, that you have to start to pay attention to beyond that. So, yeah. And I, yeah. you know what, I think like uh, one of the most important lessons as an entrepreneur that you need to learn really, really fast if you want to survive is that you really need to understand where your strengths and weaknesses are mm-hmm. and you should focus at doing the stuff that you're good at. Um, so clearly uh, as great as the maker's experience was, uh, there's no way uh, you can be uh, as awesome a uh, technical talent as somebody who's spent years doing a computer science degree uh, and, and who's built, uh, you know, lots of uh, lots of products and worked on lots of exciting projects before. Um, so it, if I was to work on our code base, it would really be an indulgence uh, of my personal interest mm-hmm. uh, rather than what's best for the company. So what's best for the company is, is me spending time uh, on the business side of things. Uh, and obviously trying to get into the heads of, of our customers so that we can build uh, awesome tools for them to use day in, day out. Yeah, I, abs- I have been nodding my head the whole time you've been saying that because I absolutely agree. And I think, and I used to struggle from this, or I used to do this myself, making these guides for my website, for instance. And I would spend so much time learning certain tools to make them look good. And, you know, meanwhile, I could hire like a freelancer to help me do it. And it would take them, you know, one tenth the time it would look 10 times better so it's like you know and even though yes sure I'd be paying them but then it's kind of like this thing of you know your time you know versus money and really allowing people who are better at you know things than you to get the job done so I love how you said it with like your uh, you said something with your own self-indulgence I totally agree (laughs) or I mean I totally feel the same way like sometimes it's just better to have you know so better have someone else who knows more just do it Right. But uh, that's not to say that I don't still do a bit of coding. I just do it in my uh, spare time in inverted commas. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, we develop everything in Meanstack. So I'm trying to get my head around that in my own time. Uh, but it's not something that I uh, obviously do day in, day out. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned uh, knowing your strengths and weaknesses. Is there anything else, like any other traits or skills that would come in handy for a startup CEO? Yeah, so you sent me this as a prep question, and, yeah. and I made a couple of notes on it. Uh, and honestly, I, I I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm still learning a lot about this on the fly myself, obviously. Um, but I, I guess the, the first thing is that you need to be a visionary person. So you need to be able to see into the future, uh, and you need to be able to persuade others uh, why uh, your vision is credible and and why your vision is indeed the way that the future is going to unravel. Um, so it's no good uh, kind of building something that already uh, exists, right? You, you've got to be able to look way into the future uh, and kind of imagine how the future might look uh, and how your company and, and what you're building fits in with that. Uh, so being like quite future orientated and visionary is super important. Um, and I think the second most important thing is having a growth mindset. So um, for those people who, who don't know what that means, it's kind of startup jargon, I guess, uh, these days. Uh, but having a, a growth mindset means that you never believe uh, that you are the way you are uh, and that those are your limitations. So you kind of have to accept that every day you're going to be confronted by a bunch of things 
that you've never heard of before, uh, that you probably are a bit intimidated by, you have no idea how to do them. Um, but having and, and adopting a growth mindset just means that you accept that uh, as being uh, something that every entrepreneur goes through and that you uh, are open enough to, to go away and absorb that knowledge, right? And that you have the confidence in yourself uh, that you can acquire that knowledge. Um, so I, sp- I spend so much time like reading uh, because you can never know enough. And every day I hear new words, especially when I'm talking to investors uh, and things come up all the time that I really don't have a clue uh, what they mean or, or what that means to our company. Um, so, yeah, I think having a growth mindset is a must. You have to believe in your ability to learn new things. Um, and I, I think you also have to be super disciplined. So having a social life and having a startup, uh, particularly in the really early days, um, don't really go hand in hand. And invariably, that means that you might lose some uh relationships along the way uh, Mm -hmm. because not everybody is going to be understanding of of your like drive to do this one thing uh, that to the outside world doesn't really seem that important and I guess people who do regular jobs um, often don't really understand what it takes to to go away and start something from scratch and and the kind of responsibility that goes with that Um, so being disciplined and being able to say no uh, and kind of being cool in yourself with that as well uh, that's super important. Uh, and then I guess more on the more on the product side of things, it's really, really important to have empathy with your users. So you have to be able to put yourself into somebody else's shoes, uh, ideally the person who's going to be paying money for your product. Uh, and you have to be able to see what they see and feel what they feel uh, and then translate that into a passion for building a really great product and user experience for them. So I guess one of the things that um, commonly a lot of technical founders get wrong because they're not necessarily as comfortable uh, in speaking to to, to potential customers uh, is that they kind of build what they think is cool. And it might be technically awesome, uh, but the reality is that your customers don't care about the technology. In fact, they're probably not even... Uh, nowadays thinking about it as technology they just want to get from a to b and it has to solve a problem for them um so i can't i guess emphasize enough how important talking to customers is and and really getting into their head and understanding where the pain points are and i, I guess like a, a final point is that it's very easy to think of entrepreneurship especially if you read tech crunch a lot uh, and you hear about all these big exits and people raising massive rounds uh, it's really easy to think of entrepreneurship as a cash cow and as a way of becoming rich and being able to live this amazing lifestyle um the reality is that a uh, given that most startups fail that very rarely happens to most of us uh, and and b you really need to be much more um, long term focused than that. So unless you really care about changing the world or making a, a difference to a certain user group uh, and doing something that really matters, you're probably not going to be motivated enough to do it for the long run because the delayed gratification of getting that payoff if everything does go well, uh, you, you're looking at like a ten year stretch. In in most cases, of course, there are like the WhatsApp stories and and some people get really lucky and they sell to a big company uh, when they're still very young. Um, but the reality for most startups is that you actually have like a, a, a very long journey before the founders can take out any real uh, sort of uh, monetary benefit from the company. 
So you need to find something beyond cash uh, that makes the early starts, the super late nights, the not going to your friend's party, uh, you know, all of those things have to be worthwhile. So I guess you really have to care about the, the problem that, you, that you're solving. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. You just shared so much valuable information. So, and I totally, I feel like I learned so much. So thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so final question. If a person doesn't have any startup uh, experience whatsoever, but they really want to start their own, what is one thing they could do today to take a step in the right direction? Uh, stop reading books and take action. Uh, so I think th- this is a trap that so many people uh, fall into. Um, and I was guilty of this myself initially as well. You know, I was procrastinating about actually doing something because I think especially if you've got something to lose. So if you've already got like a nice house, you've got a great salary, you can buy nice clothes, have great holidays. It's, uh, it, it becomes very easy to get into this mindset of, but how will I be able to live without my like 52-inch TV? How will I be able to live without my car? Um, how will I be able to live in a, in a new place without my friends around me? Um, so I guess the number one thing you need to do is really decide like if, if you're uh, an entrepreneurial person because it's not for everyone and uh, if it was for everyone we'd all be running our own businesses and there's no shame in not being an entrepreneur like uh, we need uh, a bit of everybody in the world to make mm-hmm. it work um, but a lot of people do kind of delude themselves and they spend forever researching and reading stuff uh, and they kind of become entrepreneurs uh, so they go to all the startup events but they never take action so I guess the best advice is try and find an entrepreneur that that's in your network. Uh, most of us know them. They could be the owner of the company you work at. Uh, they could be your parents or another family member. Uh, they might be your friends. Uh, they could even be people who run a local business that you literally just uh, walk into their store and, and ask them, "Hey, what is what, what's it really like running your own business?" And I think I think you need to understand that before you can decide whether it's something that is right for you, because you do have to be prepared to make a lot of sacrifices. And you need to get the buy-in of your family. So I, I'm lucky uh, because I you know, I don't have responsibilities like children or anything like that. Um, but clearly, if you're married and you have other commitments, uh, then it's really important that you've got the support of, uh, of your life partner uh, as well, because you're going to need them to really back you uh, through through the tough times that you'll undoubtedly encounter. Um, the other thing is like around idea generation, I guess, you know, uh, there's no point thinking, I just want to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to build another dating app. You have to really either have an affinity with a problem, maybe you've experienced something in your life uh, that's really frustrating and it's something that frustrates other people as well. So uh, or, or, you know, maybe a, a secret problem in your industry uh, to do with the job you do now that maybe not everybody else could come up with or, or even know that that problem exists. So f- actually figuring out what to work on is the first thing you need to do, uh, because without that, uh, obviously, you can't build a company. Um, and, and aside from that, uh, I'd really just say that uh, you need to decide what kind of company you want to build. So if you uh, want to build a tech company, then uh, very much in theme with your podcast, you really should learn uh, something about tech and coding. Uh, I, I think it would be incredibly difficult to do it if you didn't know anything at all. 
Uh, it doesn't mean you have to go away and get a, a computer science degree. You don't even need to be the world's best coder. Uh, but you do uh, need to know some stuff. And I think a really good place to start before you kind of uh, go in head first and kind of, uh, you know, spe- spend the family savings on going to a boot camp because most of them aren't cheap because obviously they're doing a very valuable uh, thing to, to teach you and it's an expensive service to provide. But my, my best advice on that would be like go to Co-Academy go to Treehouse or any of these great online resources that are uh, by and large free or have a very uh, like affordable subscription fee Mm -hmm. and actually see if it's something that you enjoy because coding and debugging software isn't for everybody. Um, So I think definitely before you spend a lot of money on a boot camp, you need to kind of figure out first if it's something that you kind of enjoy. And if you do find that, and you do have that great idea that you're passionate about and you want to go away and build it, uh, then definitely I would recommend doing some kind of coding boot camp because uh, the pace of learning and the support network that you get with other students uh, who are all going through that same experience uh, is really like unrivaled. You, you just can't get that same experience from being alone at home in your bedroom and, you know, struggling for hours with, with, uh, with those really tedious problems that you come across. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Karen. This was a great talk. And lastly, where can people find you online? Uh, well, obviously on LinkedIn. So it's Karen, K-A-R-I-N, Nielsen, N-I-E-L-S-E-N. Uh, the platform is fluently.io. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at at I18NHeart. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Loros. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Again, the show notes for this episode plus a full transcript can be found at learntocodewith.me forward slash 15. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, this is the last show of season one. As I record this outro, I am spending my last few days in Boston. And by the time this goes live and you're listening to it, I will be living in New York City and working at a brand new job at Teachable. I absolutely love Boston, where I live now, and everything I've been doing these last few years since I began teaching myself how to code. But it's time for a change of pace, and I'm looking forward to a new challenge. These big life changes will naturally impact the Learn to Code With Me blog and podcast. The main result being a slower production schedule, meaning I'll be producing less content. Nonetheless, I keep hearing amazing feedback about the podcast from both new and existing Learn to Code With Me audience members and I want to do a season two. In fact, I've already begun planning it and I'll be releasing a special announcement about season two soon. However, in the meantime, what you can do to help me is keep the support coming. Keep sharing episodes on social media. Keep sending me kind email messages. Keep telling your friends to listen to the show and continue leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes. This kind of positive feedback and reinforcement is super helpful. It shows me that people enjoy the show and want to hear more. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you. I hope you've been having an amazing summer and keep an eye out, or should I say ear out, for an announcement about season two.